0: Hi Bomby fans, and what's Pure your forecast episode 156? Unbeaten in five, amazing squad, is it too early to get really excited about the Blues? Joining the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore, how are you Andy?
3: Hello Buns, lovely to be here, how are you doing mate? Yeah, good week for the Blues, six uh, six points in the bag, doesn't get much better, Um, nice to see you both. Two weeks consecutive. I mean, it's becoming a habit now. The season's going again. Um, how are you, my friend?
0: Yeah, now the season's going, Andy. We've got the pleasure of welcoming you back to the podcast. He's one of those big game players. He doesn't play in preseason. He he only comes back. He doesn't need to train during the off season. He just turns up for the games, Prozanecki style, and just just blast in, pulling a blinder.
3: I like to think of myself as the Berbatov of the podcast, where I rock up. I don't run around. I do no research. I vaguely like. Well, I watch the games. And then I just come up and say what I see and um, just slate other people in a slightly weird accent. That's um, my perception of Berbatov. Not, he's Bulgarian, right? I don't think I've quite got that twinge. I don't think I'm... Is he Bulgarian? Fred's nodding. That's great news. See, Fred actually does research, which is why we actually ask him questions like that. But yeah, um, if I'm the very, very generously Berbatov of the pod, Hugh, what is
1: uh, or who is, is Fred?
0: I mean, I, I was leading the Lee Brown of the podcast, but I feel like that's a little bit harsh, eh, Freddie?
1: He, um, he, he, he insults people too many times for me. I only do it it's occasionally. It's
3: um, who's got the strongest beard game that we know? I mean, there's quite a few now, to be fair, in the Pompey eleven, Owen
1: Dale's beard. It is yeah,
3: strong, isn't it? Fairly on
1: point, to be fair.
3: What about Marlon Pack?
0: He's got a good beard going on Freddie.
1: Yeah, but I, I wouldn't compare myself to him. He, he's top-quality midfielder, consistent. Or more I'm more of a workhorse, workhorse pod uh, Pod host, I think you'd um
3: you'd be well suited alongside each other in the centre of midfield, Fred.
1: <laughs> I guess a Louis Thompson, who's good and purely on hard work, I think, to be fair.
3: <laughs> this is a strong start to the podcast. I, I like... think I think <laughs> the listeners the listeners should write in saying which footballer they think Freddie's the personality match to. <laughs> all
0: right, I love that. Let's get cracking with what was are about. Freddie Webb how are you, mate? Let's
1: bring you in properly. Yeah, I'm not so bad, thank you. Yeah. Uh Tuesday night was amazing really enjoyed it atmospheric front Park was rocking nice to watch that game under the floodlights awesome to see you guys as well as well during it and yeah it was brilliant i've had a decent week apart from work being you know i really hate the news VC.
3: don't you fred i don't hate it It's Just you really hate working time. there desperate for a new gig um sending the cv around as we speak is that right please please <laughs> put in any jobs that you think freddie could do at po forecast please Oh, there's anyway, a lot of feedback this week. He, he Which does. Which footballer is Freddie most like? What job would Freddie be best suited to? This could be uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, it's fair enough. Leave the man to it. He likes
0: writing his Mason Mount articles. So, first of all, we're going to I even review write the games <laughs> game against Cheltenham. Don't interrupt the introduction. Second of all, we're going to review the thumping, emphatic four-one win against Cambridge. And then we put a question out to you guys, and we said, "How many points do you think Pompey should get after ten games to keep them on track for a top six finish?" And lots of you have messaged in. We really appreciate it. It makes the show. So keep them coming, guys. We really appreciate that. And then we speak to Max from the Gascast, who's been on the pod before, friend of the show, top podcaster, to talk about all the things you need to know about the game on Saturday against Bristol Rovers. Right, boys. Let's start with Cheltenham. It was one of those games that we were actually expecting a win against. The guys in the pod last week did not seem too confident. They had been battered 7-0 by Exeter in the Cup, obviously against quite a changed side, though, just to put that out there as a little caveat. But Pompey started the game, didn't they? And it was a little bit difficult, I suppose, getting the ball through midfield. And it did look quite positive moving in. And what did you think, guys, about the first 30 minutes of how the game started?
1: Yeah, it took a slight while for Pompey to get going, I thought. Um filling their way into the game I thought but overall in the end it was fairly comfortable I mean, I mean it seemed like a very very solid away performance where I think some people said Pompey didn't go out of second gear in some in, at some moments it seemed like they were easing their way into the match as it went on and by the end of it they'd created the better chances pressed intensely which is what we wanted and which not many people would think about Pompey doing away from home And getting the three points. So, yeah, even though the first half an hour was, I guess, slightly caged than you'd expect. It was similar in the Cambridge game at home as well. But they got there in the end and it seems like a trend developing, really.
0: It does, doesn't it? It seems a bit different, unlike previous seasons, where if things aren't quite going 100% straight away, this team definitely has another gear that they they can ramp it up a little bit. And the fans are really getting into, weren't they, Obviously, it always helps having a scummer on their team with Daniel um and Lundel Lundaloo. Let's get his name right-ish. Mm. Anyway, getting a bit of a pelter from the from the frat and Faithful. Kicks the ball away, gets himself booked. Looks like he could even get sent off, to be honest, boys, during this game, but manages to escape that just about. But let's go on to the onto the first goal. Jacobs puts a corner into the box. It goes to the back post, which Morrison's not really picked up. You think the chance is gone, it sort of bobbles out to Rico and he sort of fumbles it, but the ball comes back in and Cheltenham really don't look assured, do they, from these sort of set piece deliveries. And it goes to exactly the same place that the that the corner went into. And Morrison heads it back across the goal. And there's Colby Bishop to stab it home. He said he was apparently not supposed to be in that position. So he got a bit of a bit of a joke from Danny Cowley afterwards, but it doesn't matter. He scores a goal. Andy Mitchell, well, Colby Bishop scoring again.
3: The man can't stop, can he? Yeah, this is why uh, he's been on the pod so many times as a recommended sign-in on the transfer specials, isn't it, Mance? Um, Yeah, right place, <laughs> hey. right place, right time. Yeah, it was... Um, I feel slightly sorry for Rico Hackett that his... Uh, pretty abysmal touch in the build-up has now been watched by an extremely large audience whereas if it had been sort of a, an attack that came to nothing potentially would have only really been seen by the people at the game but um yeah head of a touch from the lad but um yeah that that ball to the far post and that knock back across the face of goal is a theme that again we've seen a couple of times successfully this week and yeah the Colby Bishop the man's in the right place at the right time we should all be wearing hats really shouldn't we to celebrate that would have been a nice theme, but um, you love to see it. Yeah, right place, right time. And to be honest with you, from that, other than sort of one let-off just before half-time, didn't really feel like we were in a huge amount of danger um, for me, which is, yeah, nice not to be scared with a one-goal lead, except for, again, that one one little squeaky bum time moment before half-time.
0: Yeah, and that's when um, Elindalou goes through on goal, doesn't he? And you're thinking, oh, really, not him at all. And, Guy Whittingham pointed out in the commentary that he, he decided to sort of pull the ball back onto his right foot. Obviously, he's not as confident hitting it on his left, and that gives Pompey a bit of time. Griffiths does well. He comes out, actually closes the space down, where I thought, you know, gets a foot to it, the ball gets scrambled behind. And it's one of those things that Pompey really looked pretty assured, as you said, apart from that chance during the game, Cheltenham didn't really trouble us that much. And obviously, they had Alfie May up front, who's always a danger, but... I thought the defence, Freddie, and someone asked me a question and I'll try and look back over who it is, but Morrison hasn't necessarily got the, you know, the the attention drawn to him, but he's had pretty solid start, hasn't he, so far? And I think in defence, he's looked pretty good for Pompey so far.
1: Uh, defensively, he's been excellent. Um, arguably a man of the match performance in that game. Cole Co- Bishop got the plaudits for the brace, obviously, and rightly so, but no, Morrison. People had some doubts about him because of his age, being in his mid thirties, and then the comparison of oh, we bought another player in the mid thirties. It's going to be another Sean Williams. It's going to peter out, and so far he hasn't. So defensively, always in the right, right place. Positionally, looks assured. Wins those aerial duels incredibly well. Passing out, out, out of the penalty area, slightly slow, but not ridiculously slow he doesn't look uncomfortable on the ball or anything i wouldn't go that far and he seems to have slotted in well quite nicely on that side him and rafferty um and it seems like the defect, the back four has gone used to each other quite quickly which is very reassuring considering there's been well a fairly big change there we've gone from a back three to a back four and uh, half the personnel there are different so he's played incredibly well um arguably nailed down that first team spot even when Robertson comes back I don't think you need to replace him I don't think and yeah doing very well and uh, glad that some people are noticing the plaudits he's getting
3: It's hard to argue with conceding what is it one goal in four games or something overall it's very tough to argue with that and it's very difficult to to break that back four up or go to a back three it's very difficult to come up, come up with a good rationale for that it's sort of the old adage if it ain't broke don't fix it and it definitely ain't broke with one goal conceded in four games and, you know, unbeaten in the league so far. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, on that Robertson topic, I don't see how we can really walk back into the team. I mean, Morrison's looked good at the back and, you know, in the, the Cheltenham game, you know, assisted a, a goal going forward. So it's very difficult. Yeah, it was a very
1: good knockback by him. He was in the right place at the back post as well.
3: Yeah, the same way that, was it, Raggett was in the, the Cambridge
1: game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Must be a theme here.
3: It's
0: Top almost
1: as if It's almost as if
3: it's not coincidental.
0: <laughs> almost as if it's not coincidental that is right Andy Mitchell Moore. <laughs> moving on to the second goal obviously Jacobs managed to win a penalty it's, it's sort of worked along well do we think it was a pen first Freddie Webb
1: uh, yeah trip fairly solid it wasn't one of those where I don't think Jacobs went down easily I don't think it was one of those where he saw the leg ran into it and fell over it seemed fairly obvious by Ryan Jackson he just committed but Jacobs had beaten him fairly obvious pen tucked away by Col- Colby Bishop lovely stuff
0: yeah, and we saw the little hat celebration there, which I think was appreciated by the fans as well. He's, he's loving life there as a Pompey player. Does the little magic hat celebration after scoring the goal. Massively like that. Yeah, there's not really too much to say. As you said, Pompey didn't really need to get out of out of second gear in this game. Tom Lowry came on at 70 minutes. He looked very assured on the ball, as he has done so far for Pompey. Forgotten Pompey goals, actually. A little shout-out. Did a little video on him, worth watching that back as well. Just seeing how he moves the ball around nicely and picks up the tempo, and that led to him starting in the next game. Fred, do you have anything to talk about on the Cambridge game I haven't covered before I move it on?
1: Uh, On the Cheltenham game? uh, On the Cheltenham game. A couple couple of little bits and bobs, but I think we've summed it up fairly well. Um, The press in this game was much better overall. We said in the last couple of games the press, especially against Lincoln City, wasn't as intense as it has been. Wisecout has it as an average, probably 90 minutes, of 5.89 Passes allowed per defensive action, so very intense press there because of the low number. And the press was ramping up and the trend was going upwards before both goals as well. So it just shows that the press is getting those chances in those specific spots. One strange stat that I didn't like, uh, Pompey only won 15% of their offensive duels. So the duels where they were in possession, which is very strange. They got knocked off the ball a fair bit because of that.
3: Again, Fred, I always ask this question just for context. What would be a normal or a... A good statistic for that variable.
1: Uh, I can give you an average of where it's been this season so far in all comps. That'd be grand. Yes, please. Uh, I'll just look at that. So the average for all comps, for offensive duels, like I said, essentially tackles and challenges where Pompey players are in possession, their average this season has been 37.2%. So less than half in that regard. So they were not off the ball quite easily, surprisingly, but they still created their chances, pressured really well. So it seems like that wasn't as big of an issue. They won a lot of their duels aerially as well. They won a lot of headers, um, 45% of them. The average, because Andy's going to ask, I will quickly look. The average so far this season is 49.2% and they had 46%. So roughly around there. And yeah, I think the the only other thing to say is expected goals-wise, 1.54 expected goals with 1.19 of that being from Colby Bishop for the penalty and the strike where he moved across the box. Bishop doing really well scoring his goals from his chances that he's getting and yeah, can't ask for more from that away performance. Um, When I listened to D3-D4 podcast which did a roundup of all the games they, they deemed it as a classic solid away performance and I couldn't really disagree with them really. Do we think Cheltenham are in trouble, lads?
0: I predict them to go down this season at the start of the year and I'm going to stick by that by that prediction. You know, they lost a real top manager and he's gone off and he's really done a lot better than some of their parts. You know, I just don't think that they are looking like a team who are going to stay up over some of even the teams that have come up, you know, the likes of Exeter or someone like that. I just think Cheltenham look a, a lot weaker in this division. But it's still very early days, isn't it? We can't really... Duma team but from the start of the season and from my initial prediction that they're going to go down I think I had them as bottom even so there we go um all right let's move on quickly to the game against Cambridge Cambridge are what I like to say a classic bogey side it seems after last season we struggled against them that's one season in the league Andy I know that before you start our
3: record against them is incredible except last year Exactly. So again, I realised that, that
0: point was coming, so I had a little caveat there that from last season, I did watch us play against them, home and away, and I thought we really struggled against them. And then obviously they go one goal up. First of all, the ball book is put in, Ironside has a shot, and it basically is saved beautifully down by Griffiths to force the corner. I was going to say before we go into the actual goal that Griffiths has been a little bit unsung as a as a you know as a good signing coming in, hasn't he? He's kept... Multiple clean sheets now. He's making smart saves when he needs to be. And I think his distribution has been a bit better than it was early in the season. So apart from that mistake he had against Shepard Wednesday, Andy, how are you feeling about Griffith's all-round performance?
3: Yeah, something I wanted to sort of comment on on the pod this week, to be honest with you, was, as you say, a bit of an unsung hero. But over the last two games, in the Cheltenham game as well, that one smart save, I think it was 1-0 when he made that smart save. And in this game, there were a few... You know, there was a job that needed to be done, especially before, you know, the game was quite comfortably wrapped up towards the end on paper. It looks quite comfortable, doesn't it? A 4-1 win. But when there was only one goal in it either way, or we were drawing, he kept us in it in well, kept us in the position we were in a couple of times. And I mean, he's sort of an unknown quantity for me coming into the club. And even speaking to a West Brom supporting friend of mine, didn't really have a lot to say about him, to be honest with you. Um, So it's kind of, I'd be just learning on the job while watching him in terms of what what he can do. But yeah, the last two games, he's kind of come into his own a little bit and he's got very, very tough boots to fill from um, someone else who's currently enjoying their time a little bit less uh around the relegation zone of the Premier League. But he seems to be doing a fairly decent job so far. I don't think he's going to sort of set the world alight in the same way that potentially Bazunu did, but I think Griffiths has got a a higher quality team around him so it's going to be more difficult to stand out anyway but yeah he's doing what he needs to do he's not making any really silly individual mistakes I think he deserves a bit of a shout out to be honest with you because he was yeah in the, the Cambridge game he was really good and yeah, as you say it was a pleasant surprise for me that the styles matched up pretty well because I mean even I know I just said about our overall record against them being really good but as you said Hugh the, the fratting game last year was slightly demoralised and after a lot of promising build up and then the one of the league cups, pizza cups, whatever it was, just after our enforced COVID break, I think it was, or maybe just before our enforced COVID break. I think it was just afterwards when we drew nil-nil and then lost on pens or extra time or something. And we just could not break them down. And uh, it was a bit of a theme last year, the way that we matched up against them. So I did not have us down to to score four goals against them in this game. And I was very pleasantly surprised that as well, I suppose the game opened up and Cambridge had to chase it more. Pompey had the opportunity of exploiting that. And I think we're spotting a theme here quite early in the season that in the open games where teams come to either try and you know pick up three points against Pompey or play expansive football, we've got a team that can really exploit that and open the gaps and are clinical enough to really punish teams for any mistakes. And then the only times we're potentially going to struggle are where team sit back like Lincoln did. But I mean Cambridge tried that to a certain extent at one, you know, one-nil and and it didn't work. So yeah, promising signs. But it was nice to see us break them down a little bit. So let's talk about that goal from the
0: corner. Since we went a little bit on a tangent there. Ball comes into the box from the left-hand side. Ironside kind of gets to the near post, puts a foot out, I think, and it just sort of goes in at the near post. I'm not quite sure who's supposed to be hold of the post or, or how that works, Freddie. But what was your analysis of how that goal managed to creep in?
1: Uh, it was quite. It was. A, it was a part of a quite frustrating 40 minutes that goal because beforehand Pompey had struggled to muster any sort of chance before that. I think he had one sh- one off target shot and that was it. And they were, and they were playing in a reminiscent way of what they were at the beginning of last season, where they were slow in the build up and were, uh, there was a lack of movement off the ball, and they were having a lot of possession, but they weren't passing quick enough, so Cambridge was just sitting in their structured shape, and they were able to counteract everything. Marlon Pack, who was, spoiler, man of the match of this game, had to drop back so much uh, between Raggett and Morrison to be able to collect the ball, spray passes wide, etc. So in that spell of play, there was the, um, the shot from Shilu Tracy for Cambridge, who I thought had a very good game closed down the centre half very well dri- dribbled inside got that chance hit a shot straight at Griffiths. then it was um, the very good save by Griffiths on Ironside where it sort of went off Ironside's knee and Griffiths just about managed to claw it out for a corner I think if, if Ironside hit that flush flush of his boot it probably would have gone in and then yeah from the corner it was just a, a lack of basics really maybe a bit of zonal marking going wrong I believe it was Bishop from where I was standing uh, who was next to him trying to mark and get across but Ironside just went across the near, for the near post cross, got, stuck his leg out 1-0, and that was that. Very frustrating, and it looks as if like, oh, Pompey had had such a good away game, such a good away performance, and, that, and then they were struggling a bit in the first half of a game where everybody was excited, everybody was there at Fratton Park. But then it turned over. It turned over with a lovely goal by Bishop at the end, and that set the tone. And then the second half, they were, they were imperious afterwards.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about the goal back. And it, it was great to get that goal before half time. So we go in at 1 1 rather than a goal behind and then having to try and force the game. Some smart interchanges out of the box there from Curtis uh, and Bishop. And the ball gets put into the box for Raggett, who gets it back to Colby Bishop just to pop it in again. Sean Raggott doing a lot of good work there, isn't he? At the back post, you know, the man's here, there, and everywhere. But. In this game, he had that quality sliding challenge I saw that was highlighted and he looks solid. He manages to get the assist, but they know Colby Bishop's going to be sniffing around the box, don't they? And in those positions and if they can get the ball to him, it's quite likely he's going to score.
3: Yeah, exactly that. He's getting into the dangerous positions and it's nice to have a, a forward player where you would back him over the course of a season to score a shed ton of goals from those positions, which... We probably haven't had since we first signed Brett Pittman. Don't know if that's a too big a shout. I can't think of anyone. I mean, obviously, towards the end, Hurst was fairly clinical last year, but not same, not really the same level as you would hope. Colby Bishop will be over the course of a season with a lot of attacking threat around him. I mean, yeah, the ball in was just beautiful. Um, the ragged knock back across goal, and um, a great yeah, cross by I think
1: Owen Dale wasn't it. Great Sorry? cross! Great cross by Owen Dale. Was it Owen right. Dale? Okay. Yes, it was.
3: Um, yeah, beautiful cross to the far post, and I think yeah, fair play to Sean Raggett. He's done a lot with that. That's not a simple get into position and side foot, it, side foot it. Don't side fuck it. Side foot it back across goal. It's sort of on the stretch, sort of almost outside of the boot. Back. It's just not an easy position he gets himself into. He's kind of all arms and legs there, and um, makes it work somehow. It's quite um quite a satisfying little knockback across goal. And then, yeah, Bishop can't really miss. And then I think, honestly, that was the turning point in the game. It just gave the second half a whole different feel to it. Pompey coming out on level terms with a bit of momentum. And I thought the I mean, just to jump forward a couple of minutes, the start of the second half, Pompey started really quickly in sort of the 46th, 47th minute. And again, just set the tone and it just kind of changed the vibe of the entire environment compared to when they were a goal down. And um, yeah, I think that that was sort of the three or four minutes that really won the game, kind of, because it was obviously the is important. And then suddenly Cambridge were on the back foot from the word go in the second half and didn't ever really look like coming back from that. They were sort of a shadow of, of what they were to start with and what we saw last season as soon as Pompey got on top of them in the second half.
1: The big changes for me were um i mentioned earlier that the, the play in midfield was slow the play in midfield was much quicker um pack and Lowry linked up superbly at several times the defenders the, the fullbacks sort of got their positions very well right so they were all, they always had an out ball for the centre midfielders if the centre halves were um marked for example and the general play most, most of it on the floor some of it direct but the general play was very, very much quicker, and the press off the off the ball was quicker as well. There was more, there was more bite to it. Uh, I don't think Cambridge really adjusted to that very well. Um, they, they were happy sitting in their shape in the first half, but they didn't, they didn't deal with the change of tempo really at all. To be honest.
3: Yeah, and I mean, Pack's different gravy, isn't he? It's lush to watch him play.
1: What you earth just, is he doing like playing a, in League One?
3: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not complaining. It's just. He's standing out a little bit from a very, very good team, to be honest with you, of the players around him, which is testament to how he's been. Um, sort of the, I guess the opposite side of that would be Cambridge Keeper, who, again, I've always rated pretty highly and had a little bit of a mare. I think second and third goals, obviously the second one, he's, he's dropped a, a free kick. The third one, I thought he should have saved as well, to be honest with you. Bit of a, bit of a nightmare for him, which, um, again, not going to complain because he's had some pretty good games against us last season, so was due a bit of a mare.
0: Yeah, so we'll go on to those goals quickly. And I wanted to really sort of highlight Ronan Curtis in the second goal, but also the build-up to the third goal as well. And Freddie touched on the press. And we'll talk about that in a second. But Tom Larry puts the ball into the box for the second goal. It's a free kick, in from the right-hand side. As Andy mentioned, keeper sort of fumbles it. But sometimes it can be difficult to, to convert a goal when the keeper sort of comes for it and sort of fumbles it. You sort of lose your eye on the ball. But Ronan manages to stab that one home. Puts Pompey ahead two one. You feel all the momentum is then with the Blues going forwards, and then on the third goal, which I thought was more interesting, Fred. You talked about the press, and Ronan Curtis comes into the team, and he is a player who likes the press from the front, isn't he? He presses high. The forward unit actually press high, but Ronan's the one who manages to turn the ball over really nicely. Then on the right hand side, the ball gets squared. Bishop's there, and then as Andy says, the ball shot from Michael Jacobs from what twelve yards around the penalty spot or whatever sort of goes underneath the keeper. I think he sort of guesses it's going one way and he, and he sort of misses it from that sense. But we're not complaining. 3-1 Pompey. Andy, what are you saying about Ronan's play and what he brings to the team? Because I think some people thought it was a little bit harsh he got dropped for the last game against Cheltenham. But let's be honest, we've got such depth in squad, haven't we? But let us know what you think about Ronan.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you look at his record, it's very, very hard to disagree with it or to to really have too much of a negative opinion. Um, I think because you very rarely get games in the middle with him, it's, it's normally either very noticeable, kind of almost runs the show, does something special, either cutting in or down the flank, that leads to sort of a goal chance creation or a goal. I'm sure if Freddie looked deeply enough, he could find the stats on that. But it tends to be either that or the complete other end of the spectrum where he kind of, you know fades into obscurity a little bit. And um, I think because he has those games of extremes, it's really easy for some aspects of the fan base who either you know don't like the way he goes about his work or are looking for something to complain about because that's very fashionable in 2022. He's a very easy target for it. And yeah, it's slightly frustrating. I think, as you say, there is squad depth there. And the fact that, I mean, that was one of the goals last week where... He of, I think it was, it was the first goal. onto the games have already started blending into each other. We talked about it last week where he won the ball from the high press and then, rather than shooting, laid it across goal. And um, I think Piggott. Bishop hit it into the far corner. Was it the Cardiff game?
0: Wasn't it Piggott? Who, he, he sort of, instead
3: of shooting, he actually squared the ball. Yeah, squared it. And then it sort of went into the far yeah, corner. The Piggott the the right. side
1: foot just outside yeah. the yeah. area. So
3: having that aspect where he's not just sort of cutting inside and blindly shooting makes him a little bit more unpredictable on the left. And yeah, it's very difficult to well, it's difficult for us to say anything new about this really. It's but it's very difficult to really over critique someone who has contributed so much over the last few seasons. Fair play. And mm. yeah, it's a it's a very it's a getting to be a stronger Pompey squad at the moment. So maybe he's not going to play every game. But that that's you know, we've got forty-six league games. You can't afford to only have eleven players who are gonna make a difference. And he makes a difference when he plays more often than not.
1: and some, some of the criticism at the game of Curtis was uh, some of his final ball, but the build-up play, if that makes sense. So not right around the penalty area, but just before when he's in the space between the final third and the halfway line. Some of his passing there was a bit ropey and it got, fr- and it got frustrating for people. But when he's on the front foot around the penalty area, like you said, when, he, when he's driving at play, He's excellent and, and very much part of that left wing. And I think the 4-4-2 really suits him as well because he's got a lot of options to pass to as well. He's very really isolated out there. And yeah, I thought in this game, he was really up for it and it helps Pompey's style of play. And last season, he had 10 goals and eight assists from outride playing in those of different positions, underperformed his XG by about 3.11. But that happens sometimes. That happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I thought he had a reasonable game here. Yeah. A reasonable how game. Much,
3: how much of that pass completion being, to, was the word you used, ropey that people were using, is because he's not going for the easy pass and just maintaining possession? How much of that is because he's actually trying to make passes that are going to so, make a difference on the odd, on the off chance that they are successful?
1: Uh, based on what I was watching, probably about two-thirds of it. Some of his build-up play was a bit slow, but then again, you could have said that about most of the midfield at times in that game, before they were on top of Cambridge anyway. Some of that might be just preconceived conceptions of Curtis. Um, Hackett got a lot of stick from some people, some people in the, um, in the stand, just about his general play and being slow and so on. But hey, he, he set up the Ogilvy goal with a lovely cross when he got the ball out wide. and instead of hitting, instead of hitting it with his right foot straight away, he did the usual, shifted it onto his left, and then put in the gorgeous cross. So, it, so it's not always about getting the ball into the box as quickly as you can. It's about making the most of the chance that you're given and putting in the best uh, the, the best cross that you can. Really,
0: yeah. And there was a lot of nice build up, wasn't there, for that fourth goal as well. You know, the the fans are olaying it. A little flick from Jacobs at the start. The ball gets moved around a lot, and. This is the sort of play that you really want to go to Fratton Park and watch, isn't it? Pompey moving the ball side to side, confidently, everyone sort of dropping in, moving in position. This must be music to Danny Cowley's ears, Andy, how the how the players in the second half came out and passed the ball around. And if you have a look at, you know, some basic stats here, Fred, but, you know, the fact that Pack and Lowry had sort of a 90% of Lowry and Pack had 87% pass completion during the game, just sort of just sort of showed that we were retaining possession at a level really I suppose when they they were also looking for smart passes forwards as well not just a little side to side not going anywhere that just really shows how confident we are in the centre midfield and is it going to be difficult Andy Mitchell for us to change that midfield or can we just keep
3: rotating it because the four players we've got in that centre spot are just really good it's really important to get that early doors and get yourself sort of Confident and up there in the table, so you've got a position to maintain as the season progresses. It's much easier to try and stay where you are in the table than it is to try and climb it while relying on other teams' results around you dropping off a cliff. So while it is, it's just massively a confidence game. There's no reason to to change it up too much. Although I do realise that you know we've got a shed ton of, game, of games coming up, um, and we're going to lose some. Well, we're going to lose Joe Morel, for example, for the Qatar World Cup. So. I'd potentially think that he'll come in for a few games before that to give the other players a rest who are going to be stepping into his shoes while he's away. But um, yeah, I think at the moment i stick with it as is, mate. But you're getting contributions from everyone. This is what's encouraging. It's like the players that aren't starting are actually also making contributions. You look at Jacobs in the last two games, you know, won a penalty in the, the Cheltenham game and then scored in this one. Like, And he didn't start this second game, did he? He came on as a sub in the in the second half. So... It's not even just the starting players that are doing bits. It's everyone's actually contributing, which is yeah, to it's encouraging to to put it mildly.
1: I think the five subs rule is gonna really help Pompey this season now that we have some proper squad depth in this side. Cause when Morel comes back, we've got five excellent options in centre midfield, I think. In, in my opinion, at any rate, three strikers who I'd all all back to contribute. I thought Dane Scarlett had a very good game. He got a round of applause as he was substituted off and walked past the fraternant, end, which I thought was great. He showed a lot of a lot of drive and uh, no fear to dribble and take on a defender, which was really nice. And it all seemed like a complete performance, which is building my confidence that this team might actually be able to go places by the end of the season. But there's it's, so many games. It's, so many the games time we'll see.
3: Really, it's the first time, really, that they've been tested you know a goal down at home against the team you were more expected to get a result against that's that's the first time they've really been in that position and like the resilience you see to come from a goal down against a team that were probably quite happy to sit back even at one all Cambridge would have been quite happy to take that result because you know a point away against against Pompey is, is decent for most teams in the league so yeah the resilience to come back from a goal down and then to have the skill to break down a team who were you know, potentially happy with their lot as things stood, are both really encouraging signs. And yeah, it's good to see. And as you say, everything a bit more choreographed. The high press is resulting in both goal chances and goal conversion. If that's the right word to use, Fred. So I, don't, I don't, I don't know what the words all mean to be honest with you. Whatever the stat is that's about goals scored, and yeah, it's it's painting a pretty picture so far, but. I think I mean we'll look forward in a little bit but this little run of games here we we do need to be picking up wins because there are some very winnable games on paper and then we're going to have a tough run so I think these are important points for us to be getting in the bag and and it is a very encouraging they've started the season pretty quick I mean how you you can't really complain when uh you know you're four games in and you're one of the the few unbeaten teams still in the league even played to sorry played for one two drawn to pretty sweet start if we're honest and the squad look happy they're smiling while they're playing for the most part I think as soon as Scarlett gets his first goal he's going to be golden and um you know I said last week he's already contributed more than Tyler Walker did in his entire time here and he's built on that already in the week since and yeah as soon as he gets his first goal he'll be golden I mean we've got the bench the strength of the bench is you know I would argue stronger than the proportion of our first team um for, for large parts of last season and under Kenny jacket. And oh it's quite exciting, boys. It's quite exciting. They say, would you rather play nice football or win football matches? I would like to do both, I've decided. So um yeah, that's what I'm aiming for this season.
1: And the best sides do both anyway, the majority of the time.
3: Well yeah, Luton Town the year they went up from League One, just did both all season and then didn't lose for about, you know, forty six games or something. So or what was it, like 27 games they didn't lose before the end of the season, or 28 games. And they they were playing gorgeous football. That's what we need to be aspiring to.
0: Shout out to Conor Ogilvy, who won me 47 quid, my £2.50 two bet, over two and a half goals, and Ogilvy to score any time. My man, my G, he is Mr Reliable so far this season, is he not Freddie Webb? He's just that player who you know is going to be a solid eight so far all season.
1: Uh, he's been excellent. I think... Um... The only time he struggled in this game, and this was a minor nitpick, he, um, him and Rafferty didn't like over, overlap that often. But defensively, they were sound. They were always in the right position. And Ogilvy now, when Pompey are on top of games, he's he, he, he's finding his way in the penalty area going forward, which is excellent. remember when we first signed him, when we previewed him, because he's a P.O. forecast transfer pick, another one, um, many of us thought, oh, very very solid fullback defensively can also play as a centre half but going forward can be not the most progressive of fullbacks but no now he's, now he's finding the space he's got two goals this season it, it was an excellent run at the back post lovely cross from Hackett and to segue this on that, that goal is my pick for Guess the XG which, which has got loads of traffic on Twitter before last week so you have to keep doing this Andy
3: S-D-X-G. On a on a side note, I ironically as a segue, I learned this week how Segway is spelled, and it is not how I expected it to be. That was a an exciting, it's like S E G U E or something. It's spelled like Segu rather than Segway, which is like a segue is like the thing with wheels. But yeah, it blew my mind, Fred. Well, whilst that
0: grammar point is particularly interesting, or spelling...
3: No, no, this is Dictionary Corner, Hugh. This is an integral part of the podcast. We've got Dictionary Corner, Guess the XG, and, you know, Abuse Fred. The three integral things we need to do every week.
0: Wow. Let's fire it back over to Fred on that point as a lovely segue, and say, Freddie Webb, take us away of Guess the XG.
1: Right, so your Guess the XG this week is uh, guessing the expected goals, the quality of the chance, of Connor Ogilvie's volley... Which made it four-one against Cambridge United.
3: Interesting, right? I went first last week, Bunt. So you're up, buddy. I'm going to go zero point four five. I think that's high. Interesting. Uh, because it's on the volley. Mm. I'll go zero point three three. I think. I mean, I could just go 0.44, but that's kind of a dick move. So I'll go with uh, whatever I just said: zero point three. Three? Is that what I said? That's right. I'll go with that. Fred's nodding enthusiastically, so I can only imagine I've got it dead on.
1: Hugh Bunce takes a 2-0 lead in Unbelievable, Jack. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> um, uh, 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 it's brilliant that I'm tracking the stats now for this season. It's going to be amazing. But yeah, the, uh, the expected goals of Connor Ogilvy's volley, according to Wisecout, is 0.47. So Hugh is almost spot on. Almost spot on.
0: I'm doing my, my cowboy celebration, shooting Andy with a little pistol right here now. What's the xG of a penalty?
1: 0.76.
3: Right. Okay. I just, I'm not. I'm not doing the weekly stats of bullshit rant. Everyone's bored of that, but they are. So gracious in defeat, Andy. I, I like that. Gracious in defeat. Mate. Right. If I was content, if I was content losing, then um, I don't even know. I wouldn't have got to where I am in life. So no, no, no. I'm um, I'm grumpy about it, and I'm I'm all right with that. I own it he's definitely not consent. i can see now he's he's scratchy he's it did you say that did you say it's definitely not consent what did you say <laughs> what? Content, this is this is not your personal life mate this is, this is whoa the- that is a hell of an accusation <laughs> there's no way that can make the cut <laughs> jesus <laughs> yeah that's making the cut i'm doing the editing Gladly, let's move me? on
0: let's move on to the next section We put a question out to you guys and thank you very much for everyone for messaging in. It really makes the show. We really appreciate it. Um, And yeah, let's just get cracking with it. We put the question out saying Pompey are still unbeaten this season after an emphatic 4-1 win over Cambridge. How many points would you be happy with after 10 games to remain on track for a top six finish? George Slashford messes in and he says, brilliant second half once again from the of boys. But these first-half performances are becoming a worry, in my opinion. Three games this season, we haven't been good enough in the first half. Wednesday, Lincoln and Cambridge. We need to play what we do in the second half in the first. Up the Pompey. Boys, are you concerned, Danny Mitchmore, by Pompey's slow starting game so far? Or just are you just happy with how we are, generally?
3: Nah, for me, sample size is... Too small at the moment to make any big statements like that. That's that's my opinion. Um, everyone's entitled. Everyone's entitled to them. Opinions are like arseholes. Um, but I do think that the um, the sample size so far after four league games and one cup game is too small for that. Um, we can start half as well as we've already said. The way we started the Cambridge second half was just like out of the starting blocks of the hundred meter sprint. So it's not as if they need time in every single half to warm up and. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I know that um, sort of George says we need to play what we do second half in the first and I agree with him. But I think, yeah, I'm, I'm not bothered at the moment or not too worried at the moment, I think. I don't want to sort of, Well, I feel like I'd be finding complaints for the sake of complaints if I was moaning at this point in time. I under that, if, that, if
1: that trend continues over 15, 20 yeah. games, then I think it's an issue. I think
3: less than that, Fred. I think, I think if we're still saying it in five, six games time, as we go into double figures... And it's becoming a theme that Pompey are having to fight back into games. I will completely echo that point and i think it's spot on and it might turn out to be, but I just think four games is, or four league games is a little bit too soon for us to really be yeah, making that statement. Because I thought we started, to be honest with you, Lincoln, I thought we started okay, first 15, and then it dropped off and got worse. Um, so it's not even all four league games for me. I say t- I t- it's three of the four.
0: Andrew Perra messaging. he says, Hi lads, what a start to the season. I'll take 26 points gladly from 10 games if possible. How good was Raggett on Tuesday? Also, an open question. Do you think Danny knows his best formation yet, knowing we've got more players still to come back? yet yeah, I think it still can be 3-5-2. Freddie Webb, do you think we're going to change it back to 3-5-2 or do you think that Danny Cowley is set at the moment in 4-4-2 and we will just rotate the players we've got in and out of that formation?
1: The latter, I think. Um, With the results that have come up um, already, I think the 4-4-2 suits Pompey a lot. I'm looking at Pompey's full-backs and I'm thinking, are they really suping a wing-back? Ogilvy had a couple of good games left wing-back last season, but he still hasn't played in that advanced role that much. Rafferty is more suited to being just a traditional fullback as well on both sides. You'd have to bring in Zach Swanson if you wanted a proper win back on that side. And I think Denver Hume is still injured for that side as well. And we don't have a huge number of centre backs. We've got we've got a few of them. Um, I just think the back four suits and yeah, so I know we got a lot of centre midfielders who many clubs would like to see in their starting eleven. But with the five subs rule, you can rotate them a lot. Depending depending on the uh, state of the game, depending on the opposition, depending on what you're wanting to get out of it. So no, I don't I don't really see major changes unless you probably go on a massive hiccup of losing a lot of games on spin.
0: Andy Shaw get how good was he? Apart from what we've already said,
3: I mean, just replay any of my comments from the last eighteen months. Love the bloke, yeah. Um, dominant at the back, doing bits when he goes forward, getting assists. What can you say? He's just he's Sean Raggett will continue to do what he does. As long as he's not isolated one on one, it'll continue to be super important in the team. And the way the team is sort of lining up at the moment formation wise is meaning that he's not tending to get isolated one on one under pressure. So yeah, he can't can't really add anything to that, to be honest with you. I'm I'm extremely content with the bloke. Love him. Waiting for Jake Smith to get that tattoo. Still hasn't happened that. Especially since it's across the whole of his back. So yeah, honestly, yeah. I mean, it needs to happen, but um, it's just not going to, is it? Jake's bottled it. Yeah, it's bottled it. Hashtag boycott express. (laughs) Boycott express event. That's the one reason why. Yeah, none of none of that scum fan presenting there. I don't know if we're allowed to say that. I think (laughs) we are. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to say it. None of that. um, No issue with the fact we've got a scum fan presenting things and you know watching other watching rugby while presenting it. It's all about the fact that Jake won't get the tattoo. Pretty poor form. That's the only thing letting him down, because I like his analysis, and uh, I like Jake as well. Just needs the tattoo, and then then he's golden. Oh, he's, he's got the full package as soon as he's got that tattoo, in every sense of the word. Congratulations <laughs> on the kid, by the way, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> the, the upcoming child. Yeah, no. <laughs> Big up, Jake. Cowley's Cow's is in, and
0: he says, Looking at the teams, I'd say 20 points. Ideally, looking at least a point at the top six rivals and wins against the rest. Eight of our starting 11 last night weren't here last year. Seven of them weren't here before the 11th of July. Don't think rivals have had the same disruption, to not expecting 20 points. There's been a lot of change around, isn't there, boys? And Freddie, are you pretty, I swear, surprised by how strong Pompey have started?
1: Uh, I am, yeah, to a certain degree. Um, I, th- I think some of the... Um... Like the dips in some of the games is fairly understandable. The players are still getting used to each other. But when Pompey have been on it, they've been fairly dominant in games. I mean, I wouldn't ex- I wouldn't have expected a free old draw at Hillsborough, especially after the start. I wouldn't have expected a trouncing against Cambridge United, a I four-one thought, I thought is a favorable scoreline, even though the manager, the Cambridge manager disagreed vehemently. Um, yeah, I am still surprised. And I think 20 points, if they do that that from the first 10 games, that's a solid return. That's a very solid return that keeps them in the hunt for, um, for promotion and playoffs, since that's the aim, of course. And yeah, a, a lot of other promotion-chasing teams got their business done early and, uh, and seem more settled. But um, especially with the, the liquid football we've been seeing at certain times, it seems like Pompey have got a higher ceiling season- than we thought. Oh,
0: I thought my mic wasn't working. Tom Bright is in and he says... Win your home games, draw your away games, gets you promotion. Spot on with eight from the first four, and I'll be very happy with 20 from the first 10. Absolutely delighted with anything over. Before we move on to the points, are we generally feeling that 20 would be a good a good amount for the for the 10? And he's I mean, doing some quick maths over there. If you
3: extrapolate that out to the season, you're looking at what, 40 games, 80 points. Um, <laughs> which so yes. And then in the last six games, you're looking at two points a game. So that'd be, what, 92 points. Uh, I, I would probably take that, you know, 92 points. I'm, I might just cautiously accept that if you offered that at the start of the season. Fred?
1: Yeah, like I mentioned, I think 20 points is a realistic realistic shout, looking at the, the sides we're playing. And if you extrapolate over the season, roughly 92 points gets you in the playoffs. Um, Even though last season it was very competitive at the top of that division, there was a massive gap between the haves and the have-nots. So, yeah, some people might even think 20 points isn't enough, but um, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to have a look and see how competitive the division is.
0: Peter Ferger messages in and says 13 points from our next six games, which is 21 points in total after 10 games, should be the minimal benchmark. He's gone through to say what games he thinks of which points. So he started off with Bristol Rovers, three points. Port Vale, three points. Peterborough United, zero points. Barnsley, one point. Burton, three points. Plymouth, three points. It's quite a big ask, isn't it? I, I, I do think that though, that is possible for sure.
3: But I, I think don't I think, think it is that. is that. I don't think it's that. I think it's very possible. Um, I think it is, but I'm just looking at I think Plymouth at the end is potentially the only one I think I, I sort of think will be quite difficult. Well, they got destroyed last game out by, was it Charlton? Yeah, Charlton, 5-1 mm. the other night. Although they were down to 10 men for over half the game, but they're not um, They're not invincible by any stretch by the look of that result.
0: Yeah, so I suppose if he's looking at it from a Peterborough and no points, Barnsley one point, I think we could definitely get a point out of those games each. So is 20 points not ambitious enough for anywhere?
1: We'll have to see. I mean, like I said, last season it was incredibly competitive, wasn't it? Plymouth who didn't get in the playoffs for, for, from like the largest points total since like 2003 or something. It was some ridiculous stat like that. So yeah, even though we're looking at it in isolation, 20 points being a good, re- good return, especially against some of the sides that Pompey be playing, it, it might look very different at the end of the season. But I think 20 points is fairly realistic and I do agree with you to a certain extent, even though Plymouth have been a bit hot and cold at the beginning of the season. I still think they're a very good side and I I wouldn't give Pompey a win completely. I think that game, the Barnsley game and the Peterborough game are the hardest. But yeah, I think the others are very, very winnable with Pompey being the favourites in the majority of them.
0: I suppose out of those three games, he's got five points down. So, you know, that is quite realistic, I suppose, looking back on it out of those three games. So maybe 21 points is right. There we go. Josh Lish messages in and says, looking at the fixtures, we've got three rivals to the top six in the next few weeks. If we have around 21 points after 10 games, I'd be delighted. Well, Josh, on that analysis we just did a second ago, I think we will agree with you on that one. So thanks for messaging in. Ben Wallace messages in and he says, we should be aiming for an average of two points per game to be comfortably in the top six. So somewhere around 20 points would be a very respectable start to the season. I think that's achievable. There's a bit of a theme here, boys, isn't there? People calculating how many points to get to that magic total that Andy was talking about. Kieran Fox bests in and he says, around 20 points, Mark, and we're in around top four quality. The movement shown in that game last night was something out of League Two title win. We're a pacey winger and a centre-back if Minoga goes out on loan as well, short of top two. I generally believe that after the performance. Lads, do we think we can get top two finish? Freddie Webb said ninth. Is it is it time, Freddie, for you to change your change your prediction from ninth to second? I know you're getting wildly carried away here.
1: I think I changed it to eight recently, I believe, but I can't really remember to be honest with you. Um, second is a massive ask. It's a massive ask. There are a lot of variables, but I do think they played exceptionally well against Cambridge, and some of the football was on another planet compared to um, what last season brought up. It seems like the squad and the tactical style. Are very much coming together. We've we sort of moved on a phase. We've gone from the um, from like the rebuild or the retool phase to the actual phase of being a competitive playoff side now, which is very encouraging. Um, it sounds like I was being exceptionally cynical before, before the start of the season, which is fair enough. Which is fair enough. But yeah, I, I do think it would take an awful lot for me to to top two finish. I wouldn't go that far, but I know it's the first. Four games, five in all comps. It looks like playoffs could be possible, looking at all the performances put together.
0: Andy, are we a pacey winger and a centre-back away from a top-two finish? Do you you think that we are missing another winger and a centre-back?
3: No. No, I do not. Um, I think the squad is likely... uh, I'm not sure the squad is likely complete because I think we're likely to lose Freeman and Tunnicliffe before the window closes, which suggests... Both of them have had bids over the past week and a half. Um, But I think players are likely to come in, but I don't think they're going to be players coming into the first team. I think it's going to be more squad players, sort of almost equivalent players to, to Freeman and Tunnicliffe as far as I could tell. Uh, or would would think so no i don't, I don't think we are a, a winger and a center back away from the top two i don't know exactly what we are away from the top two but um i'm i think that's a little bit optimistic at the moment i'm i'd stick with my playoffs i think i went sixth um for this year and i would i'd stand by that at the moment i'm not fickle enough you know football's a a game is again to quote freddie flint off it's got a funny way of biting you up the ass um although he was talking about a different sport but sport does have that tendency. So I wouldn't want to change my, um, my season prediction based off, yeah, two games, but I'll stick with sixth.
0: Sean message in and says, I think 13 for the next six is a fair return. Three hard games, but two of those at home in Posh and Argyle. But I see us going win-win, draw-loss, win-win, if we can gradually improve our performances. Just how do we manage to sign Tom Lowry? He was quality versus Cambridge. I mean, we definitely spoiled for riches when we brought Tom Lowry in. I think everyone who listens to the podcast knows how excited we were to get Tom Lowry. We've been going on about him for years. And you can just see that added element of class he's got on the ball. And combine that with Marlon Pack, Joe Morel, and then you bring in, you know, you've got other players just around the squad. He's literally, he's class, isn't he, so far, boys? Do You don't want to get too excited, but at the same time, it's just great to watch players that I thought probably Tom Lowry could have even gone to a championship club.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we didn't for a bit. We didn't look at that because we thought the centre midfield was quite locked up. But once, since he's come in, he's shown he's shown quality aspects at both sides to being a centre midfielder. He doesn't get bullied off the ball, which many people would look at him and think because he's a bit, a bit smaller than the average. He's able to retain possession an awful lot. He runs around and get into the right position most of the time. Um, he's brilliant with his back to goal and being able to. Switch sides and link up the play there, and he also drives a fair bit. He he always gives an option to the other players as well, so I really like him. I think it was a bit of a coup transfer, um, especially for the like the reported amounts because I don't, I don't think the transfer value was that high. I don't, I think it was less than half. I don't know this, but I think it was less than half of what um what the bishop transfer was, considering where crew were and the fact he had one year left. So yeah, it was a lovely bit of business, and yeah, centre of field, all those options, and you could change them so much depending on who you're playing against. Because Cowley, a lot, a lot to choose from.
0: His crew wanted nearly a million quid for him before when he's under contract and in, in this league. So yeah, it's an absolute steal. Jeff messaged in and he says, I'll be happy with 24 points from 10 games. We've got to be real. And I know we're not going to win every single game. But at the same time, with the standard of League One this season, we need to be winning most. Best team we've seen in years, though. If anyone can, this Pompey team can. We're definitely winning every game. If we do that, then uh, this podcast is just going to be so overly excitable. It's going to be unbearable if we're going to win every single game, right? 24 points. Who knows? We could do it. But the standard of League One, as we said, is incredibly competitive, which means we're sort of trying to keep our feet on the ground here because there are a lot of other good teams. I think once we play these games out, we'll have a better grasp on where we are once we've played those teams like Posh, Barnsley um, and Plymouth.
3: I think we're already getting. Um, we're already. Getting, I think we're already getting the realization that that point away against Wednesday on the first day of the season was a really good point, and I think the more time that goes by, the more impressive that draw is going to look. That three-all draw.
0: Dean pressed the message in and says: Should we be worried about losing Morel and Pac to their countries for the World Cup? Where's Pac going?
1: Pac's English, isn't he? I don't know, <laughs> yeah, it's a joke, isn't it?
0: Yeah, <clears throat> a bit slow on the uptake today. Yeah, pack for England, love it, Dean. <laughs> Callum Penny messages in and he says between twenty two and twenty four points is a decent benchmark to put down at the start of the campaign. Well, Callum, if we get twenty two points, we're going to be pretty happy, and twenty four points is going to be pretty elated, mate. So, got to agree with that. he messes in and says, I think it's definitely reasonable to get twenty two points after ten games. Teddy, you're on the same thought pattern as a lot of people in today. So cheers the messaging in. Dave says, would say 22 from 10 games is about right. Dave, get on board. Here we go. HMS Pist the League. Alan meshes in and he says, 26 points. Well, Alan, you've got the award for the most ambitious Pompey fan out there for a total of 26 points. We're all behind you, mate. We're backing you. Up the Alan. Cole Perry meshes in and says, hi, lads. Love the pop. Honestly think this is the strongest squad in years. Only players of recent times that could improve us are Lowe, Clark and possibly Burgess. Simply sublime, top five is coming. Boys, how long of us winning does it have to be before we stop comparing them to the the golden age of, our, of the most recent 10 years, shall we say? And are any of those players walking into this first team now?
1: I think the comparisons will end when Pompey get promotion because it was such a memorable time, that squad the 2016-17 squad and the players who would probably get into this this 11 Clark David Ford Ender Stevens Paul Benson <laughs> that was a few seasons before And Hughes to be fair but <laughs> Nick Orford <laughs> um, would Gary, Gary Roberts even get in this side I don't think so with a four-four-two, maybe a different formation no, I think Clark Stevens low, possibly on the wing. And maybe maybe I think you have to say more than
3: you have to say more than possibly, I think, bearing in mind he's now playing in the Premier League. Fair fair call. I think <laughs> Low walked into it if we're being, <laughs> being serious. I,
0: I agree with that as well. I think I think Jamal was going would will come back into the team.
3: Do you think I okay, we'll sneak well, in you?
0: Yeah, I do. I think he'll just about just about make it into the <laughs> into the first team. Tony Cox meshes in and says, boys, can you please mention the contribution of Morrison to the defence? Mostly unspoken to his man-of-the-match performance at Cheltenham. Constantly under the radar when we talk about signings made this summer. Well, Tony, we have mentioned Morrison a bit earlier in the podcast. And yeah, we agree with you. Giving him the plaudits. Much appreciated. And last one. Pompey Rye meshes in and he says, hi guys, just something for discussion. Now that we have a solid midfield and a decent strike force, did we make a, mis- we make a mistake in letting Marcus Harness go? I'll-, I'll just jump in quickly and say that you know, Marcus has had a good start to his campaign at Ipswich. He's got three goals, I believe. That's right, boys, right?
3: So like three and three or three and four. Yeah.
0: Got- scored some good goals, et cetera. Ipswich fans are still being a little bit on his back of notice sometimes for his play apart from his goal scoring. So, I don't know, take what you want about that. But... No is my answer because the money we used to get him, uh, for the money we sold him for has allowed us to bring Colby Bishop and you can see what impact he's had as well as get Piggott back. So if you said to me, do you want to get Marcus Harness back but give back Colby Bishop and Joe Piggott, my answer is an astounding no. Does anyone think differently?
1: I think also in this formation he'd be he'd be on the wing as well, which doesn't get the best out of him if he's playing, if he's playing on the right wing because um, he got a lot of his joy playing it in Cam and uh, in the front three of a back three formation as well. No, it's a shame to lose Harness, but hey, purely business decision. He was on a one-year left, popping wants to cash in on him to reinvest into other areas of the squad. It happened. I'm not surprised that Harness has had a reasonable start to the season. I've always liked him as a player, even though he can be frustrating at times. And I'm not really surprised that, I- that Ipsh's fans can have a go at him because he can be a bit streaky, but then he has those pure moments of quality with link-up play or goal-scoring chances, which we knew he had already. But no, no regrets, I don't think. All right, right, let's move on.
0: We spoke to Max from the Gascast to talk about Jerry Barton and how he's managed to get this team back into League One. How he feels about that, their tactical analysis? It's quite a, quite a good in-depth chat here with Max, boys. We've really enjoyed this one, so hope you guys too. But here is Max from the Gascast. All right, I'm here with Max from the Gascast. And Max, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been a little while,
2: a um, couple of years, because obviously we've been uh, back in League 2 and uh, yeah, now back in League 1. So, um, yeah, good to be back on the show. Thanks for having me.
0: That's it. Welcome back to the big time, as I said in our <laughs> chat, which is League One. <laughs> Bristol Rovers. So you guys got promoted in the most sort of I don't know random emphatic way, didn't you? Really, last season it was one of those things at the end of the season. Looking at the squad, I thought you do fairly well this season. I, I quite like some of the the additions you made to the made to the team. You got Gibbons in from Port Vale. I thought it's a very good player. How did you feel coming into the season? And what are the expectations for Bristol Rovers fans? Um, I felt very confident
2: um, and I still do. Um, I think momentum is obviously a massive thing for any team. If you finish the season strong, you can usually carry that over into the next season if you retain the same core of players. And um, when you have a promotion, that's even doubly the case. So I I really like the way we we play and we attack. And um, I think that we can be a handful for a lot of sides in this division. And I just feel confident that we, we can give it a good go. Um, I think in terms of aims, it would be good for Rovers to compete and not just take part in this league. Um, I feel like the last stint we had in League One, we were here for five years. We didn't really do anything in the five years. The only real um, successful spell we had was when Johnson Clark Harris came to the club and he hit a good spell of form. And we, I think we were about uh, fourth at Christmas and then it all dramatically fell apart coinciding with COVID. We haven't really left any kind of marker on the division. We've kind of just languished in that, that bottom third for, for five years. So it'd be nice to kind of kick on, set our sights on the top half and um, you know, make teams fear playing us really. I think that, that's all any of us want is to just be
3: competitive. You've had Joey Barton come into the helm and it's a bit of a niche reference but I kind of want to paraphrase what Tim Payne said as Australian captain to one of the Indian batsmen. Um, I know he's your coach, but you can't seriously like him as a bloke. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on Joey Barton? I mean, from a personal level, I don't actually think I'd want him managing my club. Um, is there a portion of the fan base that thinks that? And I guess as a follow-up, how's he getting on, um, other than throwing one of your players completely under the bus, I think the other week in the uh, in the news?
2: Yeah, he's... Um... He's a cantankerous character, isn't he? He always has been. and um, He's definitely something starting with C, yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, um, me personally, I'm not a massive fan uh, of his, given the off-field allegations, which are still yet to be resolved in a court of law. Um, and I'll leave it at that. I've, I've not been massively comfortable with having a manager with um, something like that hanging over their head. Um, that aside, um, his personality, it... <sighs> It's kind of one of those that yes, he he is very confrontational. He makes some big, controversial decisions with players, but by and large, he's made a lot of right decisions, and they've all kind of turned out good for us in the end. So last season, we had Luke Thomas on loan from Barnsley, and we basically uh, Barton basically. Um, left him out in the cold and said he's got a lot of problems, he needs to sort his attitude out, he needs to do this, he needs to do that. Pr- very similar what he, to what he did this season with Trevor Clark, except he did offer uh, Thomas a way back into the squad and, and Thomas kind of finished the season strong and has now turned his career around at Barnsley where he's where he's doing quite well in this in this division. Um, with Trevor Clark, that's a really baffling decision because he looked our best player in pre-season, he looked a bit like a new signing after being injured for most of the last campaign and uh, he, he was probably... My man of the match and not in the opening day against Forest Green. So, for Barton to come out post match and say he was not happy with his performance and he's not going to play for the club again was there's obviously something going on which we all, we all don't know about. And usually, I would, if, if I didn't know Barton and have a bit of trust in Barton as a manager at the football club, I would probably be siding with the player. But I am going to lean with, with Joe Barton on this one because the work he's done on an individual basis and the rate at which he's improved players at the club and brought in the right characters I, I kind of have to just trust what he says he's even held his hands up and said look I've got the Trevor Clark situation wrong I, I, I gave him a contract extension when I shouldn't have so he's kind of taken ownership of it but yeah the way he goes about it isn't always the most delicate let's say
1: What sort of style of play does um, Joe Barton, that utilise with Bristol Rovers how does he get the most out of those players that he improves so much?
2: Um, So the system we play is 4-3-3 with uh, two holding midfielders and an attacking midfielder in Anthony Evans. The front three last season were quite wide. This season, they're more narrow by the looking of it. So inside forwards, Um, but there is a, a definite emphasis on high press. Um, Basically, League 2, we'd, we'd love to press high, force that ball into the midfield where Paul Coots and Sam Finley would just mop up all day in that league. And then we could just build our attacks, make it very difficult for opposition to do anything other than play it long. And, and we just basically control games by not giving the opposition any, any good possession in, in any decent areas. So it's been a bit of a transition into the new league and we got we tried to do it against Barnsley last night and got hammered uh, they completely outclassed us uh, at our own game so we do need to maybe look at our system and, and maybe adjust it for for the stronger sides but the emphasis is definitely on high pressing very physical but also when we have the ball um, some really attractive free-flowing play with um quick attacking transition definitely seems to be the emphasis is, is attacking with with pace and trying to catch teams not necessarily on the break but maybe when they're out of shape just hit them hit them when they're disorganized seems to be kind of the, the primary focus for, for Barton's, uh, Barton's side.
0: I get the elephant in the room out there because Pompey fans, not listening to this podcast, not big fans of John Marquis. So it's only Annie Mitchmore <laughs> up there who, who defended him for, for extensive amounts of time throughout the season. So maybe he could be the ones to, to empathize with Rovers fans. But how's Marquis looked? I mean, he's got a goal the other day, didn't he? But how is he looking up front for you? Is he the man to score 15 odd goals for you this season, do you feel? I don't think he is, no. Um, but that does that doesn't mean I wouldn't be starting him
2: most, if not every game, because I think what he gives us and what I've seen in, in the four or five games so far is that he leads that press so intensely um for, for 90 minutes, um, and it really just helps us play our game better because it gives Aaron Collins more space on the left. It gives um, uh, Anderson or Saunders on the right more more, more room to manoeuvre. So just leading that press, he's phenomenal. From what I've seen, it's, it's levels above what we had last season. We had Collins as a false nine. He didn't like to press too high because he kind of liked to sit in the hole a little bit. But um, it's good to see Marquis being a bit more physical, and getting in the defenders' faces and, and trying to force mistakes. Um, his goal last week was good. He should have got another one last night, but the goalkeeper pulled off a great save. Um, so he, he's, he started all right. And to be honest, when we made this, I know I looked at his recent record and I wasn't enamoured, but I think his, he's talked a lot about how he how he thinks he's, he's got plenty of goals ahead of him still and he's still not hit his best form. But I don't really see him as the goal scoring dynamo that um he's advertising himself as i see him as a very useful and effective experienced head who can lead that press get eight nine between eight and twelve goals maybe and then hopefully with his play create between twelve and fifteen for the other forwards so yeah I, I quite like him but um it's a long season so we'll see how he does.
3: He's one of those players that I mean as Hugh says I stuck up stuck up for him for quite a long time when other people didn't and um, because of the work ethic, but towards towards the end of his time at Pompey, it was almost a case of like, never in the history of football has so little been achieved with such a high step count in ninety minutes. <laughs> like he covers so much ground and does absolutely half all half the time. But yeah, nice to see that he scored the other night for you. Um, um, sorry, just to continue no, jump in, please do. He's also um, he's also
2: dropped into the attacking midfield a few times as well later on in games and then w- he's linking up the play quite nicely there. Um, so when Evans comes off, he'll he'll drop into the number ten position in the hole and then Collins will go up front and he'll he'll play some nice passes and he links things up quite nicely. So that's been a surprise. I absolutely did not expect that to be um, he, him to be deployed in that role, but. Um, yeah, he's almost at times is a false nine as well. So he's looking a little bit versatile and that, like I said, I, I didn't expect that of Marcus, but we'll see how
1: that develops as well. I have nightmares of Mar- Marcus playing a number 10 under Kenny jacket. That what, what strange era that was. Cause that was when he was, you know, billed as a proper center forward and he looked completely out of place there. So it seems different that he's actually performing better there now. Very odd.
3: It's adapted a bit, Fred clearly. Um, so Max, your, your last game out was, as you said, you kind of got, in your words, I think it was outclassed by Barnsley. Um, what did they do so well that Pompey would need to do on Saturday to get a similar result against you?
2: I'm not really sure. I feel like we, um, we had a bad day and they had a very good day. And when those two things happen at the same time, um, it can spell disaster. And I think they got two fortunate goals to say the least if you watch them back the first one is Devante cole gets pretty much to the byline tries to cross it back across the face of goal but scuffs it and it actually goes in at the near post past belshaw and goes in um the second goal we sit too deep they've got the ball 30 yards the player midfielder has a shot takes a massive deflection off someone's back and curls in so in 13 minutes we're 2-0 down from two very unfortunate goals but two fully deserved goals because they also missed some absolute sitters that we just afforded them too much space. Um, I think Pompey, I I, I don't really know why it went so wrong against Barnsley because we're usually quite good at dealing with, with a high press. It's just that we seem to make a lot of mistakes. The rain was coming down torrentially. Our ball control was awful. It was like, For us, the ball was like a a bar of soap. We literally could not keep hold of it. But for them, it was like glue. It was just sticking to their feet. They're playing lovely, slick football. Um, And we just couldn't deal with the conditions, the pressing. Um, And when we pressed, when we did press them, they they played a three, um, sorry, five. A 5-3-2 um, with, with, with an attacking midfielder who had a kind of free role. So also played in front three and then dropped back into the midfield three. They were just so fluid. and They always had options and it was very difficult to press them. Um, and they just carved us open because when we did press them, it left us exposed. And then they made some great inside runs and created chances. So I, th- I don't really know what system you guys play and if that kind of plays into your hands. But I do think we had a massively off day. Usually we really hard to break down. If you look back to the game before against Oxford, very different conditions because it was 35 degree heat and it was a bit of a war of attrition. But we were so, so solid. We shut them down. We didn't let them play. And we also played some nice stuff ourselves. So I'm hoping we can get a bit back to more uh, to how we were the week before and, and kind of move on quickly from the Barnsley performance because I don't think a single player can come out of that game with, with any kind of credit. It was It was an absolute shambles <laughs> performance-wise from us.
0: Well, Pombie have been uh, retroing up and playing the uh, the Mike Bassett formation of 4 four four two, and looking pretty good in that. We've got a lot of depth in squad in the centre of midfield as well as up front. So for us this season, it's actually been it's been quite quite nice to see. And in the last game, we had Marlon Pack playing in the centre with Tom Lowry, and both of them moved the ball very well. Uh, whilst you know, some, it's not the the formation that's sort of favoured a lot in this league, but for us at the moment, it, it's looking it's looking pretty good, and we're looking pretty dangerous o- on the ball. So. It would be a different sort of challenge, I suppose, to play against someone like Barnsley. Well, how do you think you'll deal with that? Do you think that'll be easier for you against against us in that sense to play more of a four-four-two? I think, yeah.
2: I think Barnsley were just massively on it and their system worked really well. Duff's got them well drilled. 4-4-2, um, yeah, I think with a when we have a back four and the if the depends how narrow our front three is and if they actually come back and protect the the full backs. Um, which may need to happen. It may need to kind of shift to a 4-5-1 away from home uh, to just kind of protect the flanks because I'm assuming in 4-4-2, that's where most of your threat is going to be from the overlaps and the underlaps, um, getting balls into the front two. But our back line is pretty solid. We've got a lot of height, well, not a lot of height, but a lot of um, really good positioning there with Connolly and Luca Hall, two very young centre-backs, 19 and 20, but very, very good prospects, their positioning is great, they're more physical than they look and um, yeah, they've, they're pretty good in the air so I'm looking forward to seeing how they develop and it'll be a good challenge for them, no doubt, on uh, on Saturday.
0: And you touched on Collins there as well, he's already scored three goals already this season, got the winner against Oxford and, and also got two nil, uh, two goals against Burton Albion as well in that game. How, how can Pompey stop him playing? Is it a case of if we just get on the front foot and he has to sort of drop back rather than letting him dictate the tempo and press us up high? I would
2: say yeah I mean if when it's 4-4-2 four, four, versus 4-3-3 three, three, like I just touched on then the fullbacks are going to be quite exposed unless the centre mid can kind of shuffle over and then we're kind of exposed to a big switch so um, unless I, I guess I don't know if Collins will have that role of kind of dropping back to protect that would definitely isolate him um, but he's He's very good at finding space. I, I really didn't like the idea of him shifting out to wing. I liked him at false nine last season. He got 16 goals linked up play. He's a very streaky kind of goal scorer. He'll score four and then nothing for a month and then another four and then nothing for two months and then five. That's kind of how he how he scores for us. But out on the left, he's looked really decent um, cutting inside onto his favoured right foot. But what makes him so dangerous is is he's equally good at striking the ball with his left. So he's kind of he dances into the box and whether you show him inside or outside he usually gets a shot away so I would say probably doubling up on him shutting down when he tries to cut inside closing him down quickly to stop the shot and just um yeah like I said putting the pressure on the flank so he has to kind of track back I would say.
3: Max what's the Bristol Rovers perception of Pompey and this isn't like uh say nice things about us like is is Fratton Park somewhere that you would come thinking, yeah, point is a good result here, or would you come thinking, no, there's three points for the taking here. We need to be, you know, coming and taking advantage of trying to get the crowd on their backs or whatever. Definitely a point's a good result. Um, I can't remember the last time we won at Fratton Park. Um, I think we came
2: pretty close a few years back with, and then Johnson, Clark Harris, Mr. Penalty, I believe, and we ended up drawing the match. But um, yeah, I would, I would definitely take a point. I, I think it's a tough place to go. You guys are. have, always been one of the heavy hitters in terms of strong squads uh, in the league um, compared to the rest of the league and whilst I guess I see it as kind of a scalp if we win there it would be a bit of a you know be a great result but I don't think there's any animosity or um, any ill will towards towards Pompey it's just another club who are probably part of that top six in terms of biggest biggest clubs in the league if we can go there and get a result it's it's great but um not holding our breath because like I said it's been a long time since we've won up there
0: I saw Joey Barton said it's going to be a war zone he's just trying to fire your players up and you've got to be fired up to come down to Fratton Park and everything like that to try to try and pump the players up it's that sort of football manager speech when you decide which way to go before getting your players out in the in the press sort of thing um, so that would be interesting to see how we play. But let's just get on to the game itself then, Max. Let's get on to the GC bit. And I'm going to say, what is your score prediction for the game on Saturday? And any goal scorers, please? I'm looking for a big response. And I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think there will be one.
2: Barton is very good at getting his players up for it. And when we haven't performed, he certainly lets them know. And we like to respond with, with, with a good result. So they'll be up for it. But I'm also acknowledging that it's going to be a very tough game. Uh, and following on from a defeat. Um, sometimes confidence can take a knock. So we're going to really have to be up for it. I do trust Barton to get them G'd up and I trust the players. They are very strong mentally. So I think that they'll want to kind of um, get a result for the fans. My heart kind of says that it's going to be a draw, but I am going to be a bit more realistic and I'm going to say a 2-1 defeat. So 2-1 win to Pompey is going to be my prediction. And for goal scorer, I would go Marcus, but I can't see it. I'm going to go for Collins.
3: Not going Marquis in front of the Milton End, and then a full-on Adibay or down the, <laughs> down the North Stand in front of the Fratton End.
2: I'm, I, I'm a very, I'm a big romantic with football. I love stuff like that to happen, but it never does, does it? It's, it very rarely happens the way you think it it should happen. I'm sure the number
3: of the number of former strikers we strikers we've had score in front of the Fat Fratton End and then give it large. It seems like it happens a lot to <laughs> there us. Are so many. There's we've so had every many. single striker in League One at some point. So yeah, law of averages, isn't it? <laughs>
0: Yeah, Gaston had me as well last season it was was funny. Owen Doyle loves it. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Typical, isn't it? But I'm sure a lot of clubs say that as well about ex-players scoring against them. Maybe it's just something in in the water. All right, Max, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, mate. Could you tell people where they can find you and the Gascast? Yes, you can find us on at Gascast Podcast
2: on Twitter. Um, And if you want to listen to any of our episodes, we're likely going to do a review on the game next Tuesday. So if you want to hear our side of it, um, go on to Spotify or iTunes, search for Gascast and uh, you'll probably see a picture of either was celebrating in front of the front end or a very depressed looking Joey Barton. So take your pick. Um, that's where you can find us.
0: Depending on the result, I suppose you might get more traffic one way or the other. There. Max <laughs> from, from the Pompey fans. <laughs> but, thanks a lot, mate. We appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Pleasure as always. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers Max.
1: Cheers, Max. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Max, for coming on the show. All right, boys, the return of Barton. Is it going to be a picture on his podcast of Joey Barton looking miserable, or is it going to be a picture of John Marquis celebrating in front of the front end?
3: I hope it rains so his chavy white trainers get really dirty. I can't wish anything worse than that on someone. So, um, yeah, I hope the picture is of him on his haunches after some dodgy refereeing decision has gone against him with dirty shoes just looking like a mess. I wish all of the worst things that could happen on Saturday to him like that, to be honest with you. With there, nothing that involves personal harm, but everything up to that point I wish will like to happen to him. What are the odds on him getting a red card, Andy, being sent to the stands? What are the odds of him just... Bearing in mind the Cowleys are having a bit of chat with a few other managers recently on the touchline, a bit of finger-wagging going on. What are the odds of Barton trying to throw a right hook at some point? I'd say he- higher higher than the usual Saturday.
0: Didn't he try and headbutt Daniel, or did headbutt Daniel Stendy?
3: Yeah, that's, I think that's part of um, the legal proceedings that, um, that Max was referring to, I think. I don't think that's been completely resolved in court yet. Because, yeah, was it, yeah, was it Barn- Barnsley manager got a black eye in the tunnel or broken nose or something along those lines? Bloke's a thug. Let's not dance around it. He's, he's scum. He shouldn't be anywhere near... I wouldn't want him near my football club, to be fair. I sort of downplayed it when I, we were asking Max about it. I was like, I wouldn't really want him. I'd hate it if he was at my club. I don't like that he comes to Fratton Park once a year as an away manager. The bloke can just do one and get out of my get out of my stadium. To be honest with you, absolute prick. No, I mean, that's I mean, I'm obviously sugarcoating a bit there. I don't want to give my honest opinion, but um, yeah, what a twat!
0: Please don't. We are obviously a child-friendly podcast, right, Andy? Okay, some <laughs> rubbish, isn't it? Um, let's go into the actual tactics of of Bristol Rovers in this game because. As Max said, they're going to set up in, in a 4-3-3. They might drop that back and play in more of a 5 in midfield. Do you think, Freddie, that might be a bit more of an issue if they come back and, and sit a bit more in us? But from what I've heard there from Max, it sounds like they're going to come and try and press us, which could really play into Pompey's hands if it's not like Lincoln and we manage to get the ball and play through the midfield.
1: Yeah, if they sit back in a, a 4-5-1, it can cause issues. We saw that in the Lincoln game where they were fairly structured. But no, if they're relying on the press so much, I think it plays into Pompey's hands because Pompey got more chances and more joy when the game opened up a lot against Cambridge. Um, There was just just more space. There was more rhythm in the passing, more rhythm in the movement off the ball. I think it'll be a bit different to see a side come to Fratton Park and be a bit more aggressive. We haven't seen it that much this season. But I do think it plays into Pompey's fans. I think that midfield, if it's ticking it controls that game and creates all the chances we would need, I believe. Um, and yeah, it, it sounds like if Pompey can isolate that Bristol Rovers front three, where the wingers are dropping back an awful lot to try and get some of the ball, I think Pompey will have a lot of joy there.
0: Not really sure. I have to say we really covered that pretty well with Max, didn't we, in in the in the preview there. So I don't want to dive any more into the, into Rovers tactics because Max actually, actually really covered that. But, From a Pompey perspective, boys, are you expecting Danny Cowley to make any serious changes to the squad that won against Cambridge, Andy? Do you expect him to rotate again to keep this squad fresh and then bring players back on? So I'm going to start with the centre of midfield. Do you feel that Pack and Lowry start again in the middle for Pompey?
3: Yeah, I think you can't drop either of them. I I think we're too early in the season to be too concerned about squad rotation, assuming Lowry came in match fit. Which if he's done a full pre-season, I'm assuming he is. There's no there's no reason to drop either of them. They've both performed, they've both, I mean, PAC's games speak for themselves, and Lowry has directly assisted goals and just looked really comfortable and confident on the ball. There's no reason to to rotate for me that part of them, that part of the midfield.
0: And Freddie, do you think Scarlett gets another start up front or do you think he sort of maybe tinkers that and brings in Joe Piggott to play alongside Colby Bishop?
1: I think Scarlett would um, suit the game against Bristol Rovers Um, even though he didn't score in the Cambridge game like I said earlier he had a lot of drive a lot of aggression whenever he got on the ball his movement um running into the channels was really good as well so I think he'll start with Scarlett and then if he wants to um have more of a hold. If, for example, they're vulnerable from uh, direct passes, I think Piggot will come on usually on the 60th minute. And yeah, there are, there are so many options with the five subs rule. I think to a certain extent, it matters less who starts as long as the subs are utilised very well.
0: Yeah, and the same question there to you, Freddie, about Ronan Curtis, Michael Jacobs. Again, do you think it matters who starts in the, in that sense? I mean, of course, it matters, but do you think it gets it, changed up as well there?
1: Curtis had a really good game an exceptional game against Cambridge United I think considering that I think Curtis should probably start on the wing and on left wing with Dale on the right wing and then Hackett as Jacobs as options on the bench both of them contributed significantly when they come on with a goal and an assist respectively yeah don't don't fix what's broken stick with the same 11 I think it suits The opposition were playing as well, so I don't think there's real any need to change it, to be honest.
0: All right, boys, let's round this off. We've done quite a lot already in this recording, so I want to know, Andy Mitchamore, your score prediction for the game on Saturday against Bristol Rovers and any goal scorers, please.
3: I'll go 3-0 Pompey. I will go Lowry, Bishop and Scarlett and we will all just drink in joey barton's tears on the way home although having said that i can't go because the train strikes so i'll be drinking in his tears from a small distance away
0: yeah i'm going to drive down so it's going to be one of the rare occasions i'll be entering fratton park without drinking
3: hey if you want to pop in via oxford it's only a slight detour from where you're at just like you know 100 miles north and then back down again you're very welcome to
0: Hmm. I'll I'll consider that. No, I'm not doing it. I am I, I'm, I'm rubbish at getting bro. up early as it goes, Andy. So. where's the
3: podcast unity, bruh. So get... What what is a 200 mile round trip? I need to be taken home again afterwards. By the way, what's 400 <laughs> miles between friends on a Saturday? Have you heard of this great service called a coach? God, I don't get those. <laughs> no, that's a that's a joke. I get one to London like <laughs> every two weeks. Um, no, nah, I don't. I don't fancy that. Not a real fan, mate. At, don't at me. Not a real fan. I don't fancy the coach, Dan, to be honest with you.
0: Coach lovers around the country are now going to be angry with you, mate.
3: I gonna- mean, yeah, we've just lost a significant number of our listeners who are part of the Portsmouth coach fans group. Um, Was what it Blue Star or something? Yeah, we've, we've lost our Blue Star representation.
0: Megabus, I thought, would be more you, Andy. You yeah, know. we're not
3: getting them as a sponsor, are we? That, that, that no. potential
1: Luckett sponsor's gone down the drain,
3: hasn't it? Un- unbelievable, yeah. We'll have to find something other than a coach to sponsor the podcast. That's coaching out, gambling out. What have we got left, boys? Still still hoping for staggering a good brewery. to be honest. Big up. Uh,
0: you never know. We can live We can live in a living dream, Freddie, can't we? You know, 5% off a pint for every time you mention them on the podcast. <laughs> you message them anyway, mention them anyway, so... Uh, Give us I'll 5% off, boys. Come on. Go on, boys. <laughs> Freddie, what's your score prediction?
1: I'm going to go with a 3-1 Pompey win because I think the high press and Bristol Rovers are opening things up a tad. I have to go with the ex-player scoring. Um, John Marker is doing his best things with impersonation in front of the front end. But no, that's going to matter because there will be Pompey goals from Ronan Curtis, Colby Bishop and... Sean
0: Raggett for a corner. And I'm going to go for a 2-0 Pompey win. I'm going to go with Bishop and Curtis. And I'll be honest, boys, Marcus isn't scoring against us. He's a waste man. We all know he's not got any talent. It's it's not going to happen. And just because I'm sat here with my microphone saying that now, if it does happen, please don't at me about it. We'll we'll clip that bit, shall we? (laughs) No, that's it. John Marcus has never scored at Fratton Park ever. That's it. Completely. I don't care if all the other Pompey players have come down and scored against us, as we mentioned earlier on. John Marcus is never fine in the back of the net
3: at Fratton Park,
0: ever. Andy Moore. it's
3: been great having you on the podcast. Cheers, fella. Yeah, good to get back into the rhythm of it. Nice to be here. Lovely to see your face, as always, pal.
0: And Freddie Webb, always a dream, mate.
1: Thanks, guys. Lovely to chat to you both, as always. And yeah, looking forward to uh, some more Pompey games and Barnsley's way as well. Lovely stuff.
0: Yep, can't wait for that. But until next time, play up, Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information.
1: And there is the full-time whistle.